0: Hi, welcome everybody to the recovery from relapse meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. It's the fourth of May, twenty twenty-one. My name is Rita Q. I'm the moderator for the meeting. So I'd like to introduce our speaker today. She has been in OA for over twenty-seven years, and she's from Sherwood Park in Alberta, Canada. And I am delighted to present Brandy M. Take it away, Brandy. Good morning. I don't know what it is where you guys are but it's really it's 7am here so um what a way to start my morning with you beautiful beautiful people um my name is brandy i'm a recovered compulsive over food addict um so i definitely have a story of recovery from relapse which um i never ever thought that i would be here talking about recovery from like relapse because when you're in relapse you never think you're going to get out. I never thought I was going to get out. Um, You know, I just kept trying and trying and trying. And it just, I kept going back to the food and, you know, the idea of having permanent recovery was so far from my mind. Um, I just could never fathom that, you know, I would see people getting it and, but I just couldn't, I, you know, I, I was starting to think that I was terminally unique or maybe, you know, how they talk about the people who can't get it or constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. And, you know, I was incapable of being honest with myself. I was, you know, in my mind, there was two things. There was a liar, which was my disease. And there was God, which, you know, was was trying to bring me back but I was so blocked right but every now and then I would get those little things where you know God God would show up but I was just so blocked off that at times I couldn't I couldn't see it I you know so um I'm just gonna share my pictures um with you um so this was me at um the birthday party this was like look how happy i look um <laughs> i was at the oa birthday party this was um probably to about third maybe th- 3 4 years ago um and i was taking this picture because again i was going i was look i was at the birthday party i had met some fantastic people i was going to like you know I was going to do it this time. This, you know, this was going to be my time. So I was taking my before pictures. Um, and one of my girlfriends was doing it for me that uh, was with me. And, you know, um, I would love to tell you that I left that birthday party and I recovered. And here I am now. But that that wasn't the story. I, I relapsed. You know, I continued to relapse even harder. Um, so that's the one picture. And then um, this was at my top weight. Um, I was 350 pounds. Um, those are my two beautiful girls that are now, she's 18 and this one is uh 12. So they're much older now. Um, but you know, just living in the disease, trying to do my best. I remember um this day specifically, we we were trying to climb this mountain and my daughter, this one ha- went up to the top because I couldn't get there because I was just, you know, morbidly obese and not able to enjoy that that time with my family because this disease robs us. This disease robs us of, um, you know, life and life events. Um, so that was uh, my top weight. And this was right before I, this was so, I went to treatment in September of um, I went September 12th, 2019, and so this is when I got back, um, which I'll share about. And then this was about I don't know, maybe like six months ago. But this is what I do all the time: is I I meal prep. Um, that's part of my part of my recovery is that I'm prepared. My abstinence has to come first in my life today. And so, if that means that I take a day to fill my freezer of food, so that I am never caught off guard, that's what I will do. That's that's you know willing to go to any lengths. Um, so I continue to practice that today. Um, so this is this is uh, kind of on the halfway point. This was uh, in at the LA birthday party this year from my cabin because we couldn't go there. So um, down a pretty significant amount of weight, and then this one is um, this one is closer to me today. So my top weight was three hundred and fifty pounds, and my weight today is two hundred and fifteen, and so I've lost about one hundred and thirty-five pounds, which I would love to tell you that that's like the biggest miracle, but it's not. It's not. My weight only means that I can wear nicer clothes. Um, I can do more things. I'm going to stop sharing my screen. Um, I can do more so I can, you know, like physically, I can do pretty much everything that I, that I want to do. But, you know, it's, that's just a gift. It's the life that I have today that I, that's the reason why I wake up, you know, and, you know, I was up today at 6 a.m. with a sponsee on the phone before this. That's why I do that, is because of the life I have. So um, I just want to talk about how it, so what it was for me is, you know, I, I, was, I was in these rooms for 27, well, 26 years, just spinning my wheels and, like, looking for the answer looking like for somebody to give me that, you know, magic answer that, you know, was gonna help me recover from this disease. Um, But not in those certain terms. I wanted it to be according to Brandy's will. Like I wanted you to tell me that I would still be able to eat certain foods um, I wouldn't really have to, you know, I could go to m- one or two meetings a week and I could leave those meetings and, and just, you know, forget about the fact that I was in way. Um, I didn't want to like, when people say, oh, you know, like program is my life. No, thank you. That was not something I wanted. Um, you know, and, and I heard God mentioned a lot, but I never, I didn't take that God was going to do this for me that I that brandy had to be shut down you know that I had to change not 180 degrees but 360 degrees like I had to change um and so it was it was baffling to me of why why I wasn't why I wasn't able to lose weight and why I wasn't able to stop you know and the food meanwhile was continuing to kill me like i would i would get up in the morning and i would you know i would i never let oh another thing i was not going to do is i was not going to weigh and measure my food because only really sick people compulsive overeaters did that so at 350 pounds i didn't qualify for a very sick person like that was how honest i was with myself and you know, I would, we would get these speakers that would come to share at our retreats and they, and they would talk about, you know, how they weigh and measure, how they, you know, use the big book, how they, how they work their program. And I would leave and be like, I would just go back to the way I was doing things because I wasn't ready to hear the message. Obviously, it wasn't that bad, you know? And so I went through life and when the big book talks about the tornado, I was definitely the tornado. I was a know-it-all. And, you know, if you tried to give me advice or suggestions, I was I would probably tell you that I had better ways or better suggestions. I couldn't wait to talk. I was not a good listener. So if you were talking to me, I was thinking about what I was going to say and I was barely listening to what you were telling me. Um, I definitely was never present in the moment. Um, I just, you know, had I had my own ideas like I was self will run riot. And I was going to do anything and hurt anyone to get my way. Even though my motives were good. My motives were like, I'm a nice person. I'm a good person. You know, I would do something for you. But then I would definitely be building up that resentment in my mind. Like, oh, then, then they should do this for me. And, you know, and if you didn't live up, like, you know, you would feel the wrath. Because I would tell you and you know so eventually people were starting not to want to be around me and of course it was all their fault it wasn't mine I was never accountable for anything and that's the way I lived and meanwhile the food was more and more prevalent in my life it progressively was getting worse and I you know I remember going to the birthday party and I started hearing like a different message because in my meetings, I didn't really hear a message where like, to show me how to recover, to give me directions on how to recover. I never heard that before. And I started seeing these people at the birthday party where I was like, oh, they're like happy. What's happening here? You know? And And they're talking about like how they, you know, have an allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. And, you know, that was all new to me. Like, I didn't think of it that way. And they were in thin bodies and that was very attractive to me. Like they were thin, they were happy, they were, you know, excited to be there. And, you know, here I am, like I traveled across the world to go to this birthday party to, to get abstinent. It was my another, another countless vain attempt, you know, and because this was gonna solve my problems. And, you know, what I know today is that human aid will never solve my problems. Going to a birthday party, going to a meeting is never going to get me recovered. It might put me in touch with the right people and maybe, you know, I'm ready for that miracle to happen or I'm desperate enough for it to happen. And then I, I get it, but that wasn't my experience. And you know, so I kept going to those birthday parties, and I've probably been to I think four now. And one of them, you know, t- the last one that I went to, no, the one before the last one, um, I was in relapse, you know, because i would I was one of those people who would get like a week or two and then fall off and then a week or two and fall off. Or you know, if I had a month, one time I even had a year. But that year, I was doing three meals a day, nothing in between, but a lot of good living. That's what they told me in the rooms. (laughs) Um, And I was having chocolate bars for supper, because isn't that okay? Like, I was eating three meals. It was in the confines of my three meal. And I remember somebody telling me, as long as your meal has a beginning and an end. So I would start my meal and... For me, as a compulsive overeater, like that's shit that's going to kill me. So I would start at, say, you know, dinner time started at five o'clock to seven o'clock. Start and end. Whatever I ate in that time, right on. So I was abstinent and I was going to meetings, calling myself abstinent and sponsoring people. Great. You know, like. So those are the kind of messages that I heard. And today, I just know that those messages will kill me. If you're, if I, I am a real compulsive overeater, the way that it describes, I'm the type three in the big book. You know, I have the allergy of the body, the obsession of the mind. And when I start eating certain foods, the train gets on the track and it does not stop. Brandy is not stopping that. You are not stopping that. Nobody's stopping that. You know, I had to have a power greater than myself to help me with this. And so I'm at this birthday party traveled across the world, like spent a lot of money to go. And you know, the Friday night, I could, all I could think about was like, I need to eat. I need to eat. And I I was one of those people who said, I will never ever eat at a retreat. I used to hear people like how they would have stuff stashed in their room. And I I would judge them. and be like, how could you go to something like this and then put shit in your room? Like, aren't you here to like, you know, that that's how arrogant I was. And here I am, like, you know, standing in a conference room of 800 compulsive overeaters at the back with my drug, you know, chocolate in my purse and like fill in my face. And while well, somebody stands next to me and I'm hiding and I'm trying to make, you know, I don't know if he knew or not, but I didn't care at that point. I was so addicted to food. That I needed my drug even with 800 compulsive overeaters around me where I could have asked for help but I needed my drug I needed it and that's how this disease was manifesting in my life and so I went you know to this this and then I went again the next year and you know I remember going and that one was like so disappointing for me because I went with all these people that were like recovered and getting it and I was still the one that was fat and I was still the one that was in the food. And you know, they they loved me, but I felt so out of place. And that's like really the story of my life is I've always felt out of place. I felt like I don't belong. You know, very young, my dad told me that, you know, men would never love me if I was fat. You know, my family always had an issue with the way I looked because I was an overweight kid. I was never accepted for who, who I was. It was always about my body. And so I learned that, you know, you are not good enough if you are fat and I carried that through my whole life. And so carrying that through my whole life, you know, you can only imagine the relationships that I had with men, you know, very dysfunctional because nobody was ever going to love me. My, my main role model confirmed that for me. And so you know, I I, w- I was going about life, and I it was so. In May of 2018, we lost my mom, my dad's. Or sorry, my <laughs> we lost a lot of people. Um, we lost my husband's mom, and uh, that was like really devastating because he was very close to her, and we were all very close to her. And you know, it was it was a hard time, and. I was abstinent at that time. I like, I was imperfectly abstinent at that time. And um, I had been for seven months. And um, so I, I was able to hang on by a thread, but none of those, none of my abstinence has never been neutrality. I've never had neutrality until my abstinence today. And so, you know, we lose his mom and then we, and then in July of that year, my husband was diagnosed with cancer. And um, I went back to the food at that time. I hit the food very hard and I couldn't stop. Um, I had no trust and reliance in anything else besides besides myself. And, you know, my best thinking got me to where I was. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't great. Um, My husband had a very, very long treatment like over almost two years of treatment. And through that time, I was not able to support him. I was in my own shit, I was in my disease. And even though I wanted to so bad, I wanted to be there for him, I wanted to like be his rock. And I couldn't, I couldn't, because I was so sick in my compulsion. You know, I was I was using food, I started using drugs, I started using alcohol, anything to numb out the way I was feeling, because I can't handle uncomfortable feelings. The buildup of human emotion equals eat for a compulsive overeater. And those emotions were too big. They were too big for me. And so I started eating and eating more. And going through the treatment, you know, I was an asshole. Like, you know, I'd be like, you know, the guy's taking chemo and like, you know, radiation. And I'd be like, really do have to sleep that much. You know, you can't do a little more. Like I was so insensitive and all I could think about is myself because I'm a selfish self-centered person when I'm in my disease. And he, you know, God bless him. He's still with me today. (laughs) Um, he's probably my biggest teacher today and he probably sees my biggest changes today. And so we went through that and uh, his dad ended up dying in the middle of that. And um, then my mom got a cancer diagnosis in um, March of 2019. And that was when I finally, like, I I broke. I couldn't do this anymore. I could not live the way I was living, but I didn't, you know, I didn't want to get better either because again, the, the feelings were big and so uncomfortable and seeing like my mom was my best friend and seeing her she got pancreatic cancer and that's a gross gross death and seeing her like that and seeing her in pain I couldn't handle it I just couldn't and so the cookie jar was my best friend like I would go there to help her and I would sit there and I would just eat I would eat because I just I couldn't see her like that And, you know, and then I would go home and I would use drugs to, to just numb out and alcohol because I just couldn't do this. And I, like, I don't consider myself an alcoholic, but anything, anything to get out of those feelings. And, you you know, my mom passed away um, in August of that year. And I remember she, she could see that my weight was going up. She could see that I was in trouble and my mom, like her mission in her life was to make sure that I lost weight, because she, she she thought that if I could just lose weight that my problems would be solved. And so, you know, God bless her because she was just doing her best. She didn't have any other answers. And she could see how much my weight was tearing me apart, although it was really my head that was tearing me apart. And so, you know, on her deathbed, she said to me, Brenda, you're not gonna continue this, are you? And I would say, I said, no, mom, like I booked treatment. I booked treatment to go in September. I'm, I'm going to get better. I'm going to get better. And I wanted to like, I wanted to be better in that time for her so that I could be present, you know, but I just couldn't. And I couldn't put down the food. I would get up every morning and be like, please, God, please just help me, help me like show up for my mom today. And I would binge and I would go to sleep. And all I wanted to do is be there for her. And this disease was just taking over my life. It was killing me. It was robbing me of my last moments with my best friend. And when my mom passed away, I did did book treatment. And she said, she's like, but don't eat until you go to treatment. And I was like, no, I won't. But I couldn't. I ate until the day before I left. And the morning I was on the plane. And when I was sitting on the plane, I was like, what are you doing? why are you going to treatment for food addiction? This is ridiculous. You know, here I am almost 300 pounds again because I had lost 50 pounds. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. You don't need treatment. Are you kidding me? I was dying. I needed help. But, you know, I just thought it was a countless vain attempt again. Like, cause I just didn't believe, I did not believe that I could have recovery from this disease. And so I went to treatment and they made me put down all my alcoholic foods. And remember, I was never going to do that. I was always going to eat in moderation. Fuck, I can't eat in moderation. I can't eat chocolate in moderation. I can't eat cookies in moderation. I have the allergy. And so I put down the food there September 12th. And I've been abstinent ever since. And my absence is very black and white. It has to be. I cannot have sugar fat like saturated fat flour I don't do caffeine because it gives me anxiety and you know today I'm willing to go to any lengths when it comes to my food I weigh and measure I said I would never weigh and measure unless I got really bad well I'm really I was really bad you know and today I don't fool around with that I commit my food that you know the night before also said I would never commit my food I do that Those are the disciplines that I just need to do around my food to arrest my illness, you know? And that's what they suggested I do. And so I listened because I was desperate and I was dying. So I had to listen to something other than my own head. I was not working. And in the big book where it talks about, um, you know, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. I love the effect produced by food. You know, it took me out of those emotions. It took me from being like up here, you know, white knuckling or like so scared or so resentful or anything, like any emotion that I was feeling. And it just calmed me for about seven seconds. And then I would need another hit, just like an alcoholic. And I could see that in my patterns of behavior. I was actually seeing it. And so I was believing that maybe that this this book is actually about me and it could work for me. So I, you know, I only stayed in treatment for about 12 days. I came home and I got a sponsor and I started working this program like my hair was on fire. I was telling my sponsor, okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. Cause I knew I would only be able to hang on for so long. You know, I had tried this before. And so, you know, the fog was lifting because I put down all my alcoholic foods, the fog was lifting and I was seeing life in a different light. I never realized how those foods impacted my body, you know? And so the food fog was gone and I was raw. I was so raw and I was in pain. I had a lot of human emotion that had built up. And so, you know, I started working the steps with my sponsor and we went through, we went through really quickly and, you know, I, I'm just looking at my next page. So, you know, I, I, t- I, he- I heeded the warning in the first 164 pages, but especially until we agnostic, because this is why I kept relapsing. Why I kept relapsing is because I was relying on my own power, you know, and I wasn't leaning into God today. I lean into God for everything. And if you call me and ask me something, I'm going to say, "What does your higher power say? What does God say? Because I don't know, I don't have the answers. I'll pray with you. But God is the one who needs to do for me what I can't do for myself today. And I missed that for 26 years. I thought you were gonna solve my problems. I thought you were gonna make me better. I am beyond human aid. You know, no human power is gonna relieve my obsession. But I wanted you to. I thought if I had a really good sponsor, then maybe i would be cured no i had awesome sponsors and i relapsed so if you are serious on page 325 if you are seriously alcoholic we were which we, we we believe there is no middle of the road road solution we were in a position that life was becoming impossible we passed through the region no return through human aid like heed the warning i had i had two alternatives Go on to the bitter end. You heard parts of my life. You weren't living it with me. I bet you can imagine how great it was. So I could go on like that and probably live a life by myself because nobody wanted to be around me. Or I could accept spiritual help. Those are my only two alternatives. So what does accepting spiritual help look like? Fire Brandy, hire God. Brandy does not know You know, my best thinking got me here. God's best thinking has brought me to a place beyond my wildest dreams. You know, relationships in my life today are so different. My husband and I were like on the verge of divorce. When I got back from treatment, like there was a pink cloud for a bit, but then you know what? My character defects started to show up again. And I, like, we were separated for a good six months. Today, I love my husband. I could never tell you that both my feet were in on my relationship, on any relationship in my life. God has brought me to a place that both feet are in. Like, I want to be with my husband. I could never say that before. Because I was always wanting the easier, softer way. I wanted to go where the grass might be greener. I wanted it to be easy. And this program is not easy. There's stuff we need to go through. You know, if I'm not going through pain, if I'm not working through my shit, I'm not growing. You know, I'm staying the same and I need to be growing. I need to be green. God wants me to be green and growing. That's where I am with God. And, you know, and so I accepted the spiritual help, although I didn't believe that maybe, you know, I didn't believe when I first started. Putting down the food is hard. It is hard. I'm not gonna say it's not hard. It was hard for three months. I thought about food constantly. I had dreams about it all the time. I would wake up and be like, oh, I binge, oh shit. You know, it's not It's not easy. And anyone that tells you it is, it's, they're wrong, you know, it, or they're not a compulsive reader. Any compulsive reader that I know that's the real deal says, it's hard but it's not impossible we can get through this with god and with our fellows you know we're all in this together we do this program one day at a time together and so you know that's five minutes brandy thank you my relationship with my husband is better um you know, and in, in relapse, where it says most of the time, um, we're unwilling to admit that we're real alcoholic. I wanted to believe that I wasn't. And I tried everything to try and prove that I wasn't. I didn't want to be a compulsive reader. I didn't want to not have control. You know, and today it's like, I lack power. That's my problem. My problem is, is that I have no power over this disease. And what I've learned in recovery is that I have no power over everything. You know, those character defects that pop up, I'm powerless over them too. God has to remove them. I'm powerless over food and my life is unmanageable. You know, if I don't think I'm powerless, why would I accept these directions in this book? Why would I do it? You know, this book has a recipe of recovery. And if I follow the recipe exactly how it is laid out for me, I'm going to, I'm probably going to recover, you know, but it's not just an instruction manual. I have to practice what it's saying. I can't expect I'm going to read it and I'm going to do the work and I, you know, and that I'm just going to be recovered. I actually have to practice what it's saying in my relationships when character defects pop up. I need to do what it tells me to do. It's not, it's not just a theory. We have to live it, you know? And for the first time in my life, for the first time in program, I was i was so desperately beaten that I was willing to do it. You know, and today I really do have a life beyond my wildest dreams. When my when my mom was dying, I, th- I said to somebody, I said, I'm not gonna have any family because nobody wanted to be around me anymore. You know, I had a sister who who wanted nothing to do with me because I was, I was an asshole to people. Even though I was trying to be kind and like smiling as I was doing it, you know, I knew damn well. And today me and my sister are like BFFs. Like, you know, about a month ago, we went skiing together. And that's in a miracle in itself because I haven't skied since I was very young. And because I was just too heavy and we went skiing together and she said, Brian, she said, we're on the chairlift with her daughter. And she said, you're skiing. And I'm like, yeah, she's like, Brian, we haven't skied since we were kids. And I'm like, I know, like, she's like, I can't believe your life. Like, you know, the change she's like, your life has changed completely. And I'm like, yeah. You know, and and that's what the big book promises. It promises us that we're going to change. But everything had to change. My principles, my ideas, my personality. Like, I am not the same person sitting here today that was, that started, you know, a year and a half ago. Or I guess it's 19 months, but who's counting? Um, And, you know, I'm just, I'm different. The way I show up for my kids, you know, I'm a mom. My kids are allowed to live their life today. They're not controlled by somebody who thinks they know everything. My kids have a higher power today. And so I don't need to control everything they do. I need to be here. I need to support them. I need to love them. I need to hug them, but I need to let them have their own life and have them let them fall and make mistakes. You know, I was so caught up and like I didn't want them to have pain I didn't want them to go through anything that I went through. If they need to go through that, that's not my choice today. That's God's choice. You know, I teach them right from wrong. I teach, you know, I I try and do my best as a parent, but I seek God's will in that as well. Because I'm not a controller anymore. I'm not running the show. I have a new employer. Brandy's fired. God is hired. You know, and he performs my work well. You know, like he does. The biggest thing in my program today is helping others. You know, God, how can I be of service? I never wanted to sponsor before. When my phone would ring, I'd be like, oh, it's a program person. I don't want to answer. Today, I answer my phone, you know, because my job today is to help other people recover from this disease. I can't make you recover from this disease. I can't give it to you, but I can tell you about how this worked for me, you know, and, and that's all, that's what I do today. You know, I have my sponsees, they're sponsoring, we have a community of people. And today, this program is my life. Because I know that I don't have a life without this program. Everything else comes second to God today. And God wants me to be in these rooms carrying this message. You know, and even outside these rooms, I have lots of people in my life that are struggling, you know, and they see the changes and they ask. And, you know, I just do my best to show up. God, how would you have me be? What would you have me do in this situation? And sometimes, you know, I'm not always perfect at it. I'm not this perfect human being. I don't wake up every day like happy and want to do this. And when I don't, I just ask God, God, give me the willingness to show up today because I'm not really wanting to. And sometimes I do. And sometimes I don't. And that's okay. That's okay. I'm human. And so I'm so grateful that you let me come and share with you today. And I'll put my number in the chat. I love outreach calls. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Brandy, that was wonderful. Thank you so, so much.